Our scripture reading this morning is uh, Isaiah 53, and it's verses 8 through 10, and you can follow on the screen if you'd like. He was eliminated from the land of the living, (laughs) dead because of my people's rebellion. His grave was among the wicked, his tomb with evildoers, though he had done no violence and had spoken nothing false. But the Lord wanted to crush him and to make him suffer, and his life is offered as restitution He will see his offspring. He will enjoy long life. The Lord's plans will come to fruition through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On the cover of Time magazine in 1966 was this cover, Is God Dead? It caused a big uproar, as you might imagine, in 1966. It caused the, the most letters ever sent to Time magazine to be, to be sent in about what, was, what is going on, what is going on in the world. Why would you ask this question? Um, but it's a, it's a common question. When I was, when I was a child, um, and I, I one time there was a band I enjoyed that had a song. Um, I didn't realize for a while, and this is something that the lyric was, your God is dead and no one cares. And the funny thing about that lyric is that I was, wore a shirt of this band at one point and got a call from the teacher. I think I've shared this story before, but I got a call from the teacher, and the teacher, Mrs. Myers, called my mother and was like, now, Mrs. Pruitt, I want you to know that your son, Wilson, is a, is a lovely boy, lovely boy. I assume she said that. Um, <laughs> but but he, was wearing, he was wearing a shirt by this band um, and I just wanted you to know about it. So my mom was like, okay, yes, yes, and went and asked me about it. And I was like, oh, mama, it's okay, it's okay. I listen to the music, I, I don't listen to the lyrics. That was my, that was my response, but that was, <laughs> it, it, passed, it passed for the time. But, but it's a common, it's a, often, oftentimes you come across this in, in secular culture, as like, is God dead? Um, what, is, what is going on with this? And this modern idea came about in the late 19th, century with this German philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, who, who, who wrote about it a lot. And oftentimes there's this kind of trajectory where like adolescents read Nietzsche for the first time and their mind is blown and they kind of like do gotcha moments with other people as if it's this big scandalous claim uh, coming around like, did you know that God is actually dead? And like waiting for people to just freak out in this kind of voice as if the world is going to collapse. And maybe other religions, it, it's a scandalous claim. But in the Christian religion, the, the irony is the death of God is, is the central action of, of the faith. But what is unique in this is that the death of God is not the end of the story. We'll get to that in a little bit, especially at Easter. But before we get to Easter, we need to rest a little bit, even if it's in the middle of November, in a good Friday moment. My friends, we are continuing in our series on the Apostles' Creed, on this great statement of faith. We are looking back at how the Creed encapsulates Scripture and offers it to us in a way that shows us what has been revealed from God about who God is, about how the world is, why we are in need, how Jesus saves us, and what we should do about it. Today, with the line, I believe in Jesus Christ, who was crucified, died, and was buried. Throughout this series, I've been trying to look at the Apostles' Creed through the scriptures of the Old Testament. 
And I don't know if many people have noticed, but every scripture has come from the Old Testament. It'd be easy to find a scripture about the crucifixion from, from the Gospels because they all have the scene. They all have words and descriptions about it. But the Bible that Jesus read is not the Bible that we have. The, the scriptures that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy when he says that all scripture is God-breathed and inspired is not the New Testament we talk about. Paul wasn't saying that his own letters were inspired. He's not that cocky a person. Um, he, was, he was saying that the words of, of the Torah, of the, the prophets, of the writings, those are inspired and God-breathed by God for us. That is what, what Paul and Jesus mean when they speak about, speak about the scriptures. And so when we look at Isaiah 53, the passage that Doug read a moment ago, the song of the suffering servant, we're thinking about how the God who created everything offered us a path to life. Offered us a path to life. Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and we see elements of that in Isaiah 53. He suffered to the point of death. The words of the prophet, he was eliminated from the land of the living, struck dead because of my people's rebellion. The word translated here as eliminated is um, nigzir, which is usually translated as divide or cut. It's, a, it's actually a inter very interesting word that's first used in 1 Kings 3, which is when Solomon is, is given wisdom by God and the two women come forward to Solomon. And one claims that the baby is hers and the other claims that the baby is hers. And, um, and they're both having this argument and they come before Solomon the king. And in his wisdom, Solomon says, cut the baby in half. And he used this nigzir, cut the baby in half. And then, and in that moment, the woman who's not the mother is like, fine, do it. And the woman who is, is like, no, let her have it. But this, this division is stark. He will be divided and separated from the land of the living. Not a, not a mostly death, but an all death, a total separation on the cross. Crucifixion is a heinous instrument of death. It was a process where most people, when they were crucified, died of asphyxiation or, or suffocation due to exhaustion. The most famous example of, of crucifixion outside of the Christian faith was Spartacus and his re slave rebellions, that they were, they were crucified on the street, on the road back to Rome. It was an instrument of, of death, but also intimidation. It was a mark to show that other people don't, don't, don't do these things that these folks did. And yet today, Christians share the cross as a symbol of faith. Why is our symbol of faith an instrument of death? This is so important because this is why the crucifixion is in the creeds. Christians use the cross as a symbol of faith, not as a mark of death, but to mark the defeat of death. This tool of misery has become a symbol of life. This tool of pain has become a symbol of joy. In Deuteronomy, it says, Cursed be the one who hangs upon the tree. And early Christians read this and saw this as a prefiguration of the crucifixion. Again, the scriptures point to what God is doing in Jesus Christ. But we go one step further. Not only was Jesus crucified, he died. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, died a real death, an actual death. 
People in the ancient world understood what happened when people died. It wasn't just like a more supernatural period when people are like, oh, I know he's dead, he's alive, I don't know what's going on. No, they, they knew it. They actually experienced it a lot more than we do. They experienced death. Death happened around them. Death happened at the home. Death happened at the work. Death wasn't taken away to, to a hospital or a, or a home. It, was, it happened in front of people. It was experienced. It was a present reality. It is an act of faith to believe that God died. It is a scandal of faith to believe that God died. Scandal means, means stumbling block. It doesn't mean something that's racy. It's something that you trip over. It could be something you trip over. What do you mean God died? What do you mean Jesus died? And how easy it is to say Jesus died, then God died. And sometimes that points to the ways that, that we, we minimize the divinity of, of Christ when we make it easier to say Jesus died, then God died. What kind of God lets himself be killed? Would Thor ever let himself be killed? Would Zeus ever let himself be killed? What is going on here? Some people thought that that Jesus didn't really die. This is how he's able to come back from the dead. If he's not really dead, he can't come back from the dead. You you solve solve that problem. There's There's a novelization of the book of Acts by the English novelist Anthony Burgess where they, they talk about, well, Jesus didn't die. He just had really big lungs. He just was, he was able to hold his breath a really long time. That's, that's, that's how it happened. But there were other, other examples of, of ways that people tried to rationalize and justify this, this miraculous moment. What is often rarely mentioned, though, is that almost all reports of death, any death, are acts of faith. For most of us, most of us are not physicians who are qualified by the state to, to determine a time of death. We take someone else's word for it. Most of us don't examine the body of someone we know and, and double check and confirm and reconfirm. No, we take it at face value. We take it as an act of faith that when someone says their great aunt passed away, we trust them on it. We take their word. It is, a, it is faith. It is an act of faith. We trust the authority of another to speak to this. So we have to ask ourselves, are the accounts of Jesus trustworthy? Do we trust the gospel writers? Well, surely they, they had some incentive for what they were saying. They were starting this, this new religion. They were expanding things. Maybe they were incentivizing. They were stretching the truth a little bit in order, in order to, to get something out of it. Although what they got out of it doesn't really make sense. The, the, you know, they all kind of were killed for it. It wasn't really a super advantageous um, spreading of, of news. According to the world, it wasn't good news. The good news they were sharing about the crucified Jesus coming back from the dead did not lead to harmony across the world, but persecution. Do we believe that, that Jesus actually died a real death? And I think this is a really interesting topic and can go into in a lot of ways, but one of, another way to look at it is what interests me is not why someone believes or why they don't believe. Why do they doubt the resurrection? Why do they doubt that Jesus actually died? Because as far as I'm able to see, what it ultimately comes down to is if someone doubts the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because they doubt the possibility of miracles in general, something supernatural taking place in the world. So then the, the conversation, the question is no longer about the crucifixion in general, but about metaphysics, the existence of God, how the world works, materialism, all these fun 
things. But Christians don't just stop at any old death, which is important, which is why it's in the creed. We don't just say, we believe in Jesus Christ who died and was buried. We believe in Jesus Christ who was crucified, died, and was buried. It was a particular kind of death. Jesus was crucified. He was separated from the land of the living in a particular kind of way, in a way that not only caused him suffering, but caused intimidation to the people around them. Watch out, those you followers of, of Jesus. Watch out. This is what is going to happen to you. That is the way he was separated from the land of the living. And then he was buried. And this also matters. He was, he was buried. His body was put away to a certain place to rest. A rest that was not eternal. The body was put away so that it could come back again. Jewish, Jewish burial practices were, were very particular. They still are today. You're supposed to bury the body very, very swiftly. But Christian traditions of burial come from the burial of Jesus. Christian traditions follow this about that the we, we bury our dead, we mourn our dead because as Jesus came back from the dead, so we believe those of our brothers and sisters will also come again. Now with Christ's death, there's a lot of theological significance going on. A lot of arguments over the years have happened about what actually, how does Christ's death actually save us? It's great to say that Christ saved us. It's one thing to say, but what are the actual function? What's going on here? People have argued about this over the years. He offered his life for our redemption. His death marks something significant for us. But, but what is that? The way, way Christ's death impacts us in theology is often called atonement theory, which is one of the few theological terms that actually comes from English. It's atonement is at one mint. Um, it's a pretty easy to, to derive. At one mint. How do we become one with, with God? How do we become one with Christ Jesus? How are our sins forgiven? And there have been various theories over the years about atonement. One is called substitutionary atonement, where, where Jesus takes our place of punishment. Another is satisfaction, where, where Jesus satisfies the wrath of God. Another is ransom theory, where, where Jesus takes um, the, the devil as the Lord of the world, and Jesus pays our ransom for that and frees us from subjugation to the devil. There's, there are many others, and this is oftentimes the first year in seminary classes, people who are very earnest debating these things about what's the most important. When we go through ordination in churches, you often have a conversation. What is your atonement theory? How are you, how do you think Jesus's death saves you? But what sometimes is missed in the, in the high theological language is the concrete reality of Christ's death. It was a real death. It was a real cold death, crucifixion and burial. These are acts of faith, though, to believe that God became man in Jesus Christ and didn't overpower the world through fantastical, uh, fantastical, miraculous um, like armies of angels crushing all his enemies. Instead, God was arrested. He was, he was beaten. He was crucified. Let himself die. Was buried. And it matters. 
It's not the end of the faith, but it is a part of the faith. If, if the Apostles' Creed ended here, like, I don't know if that'd be a religion to follow. Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. The end. Um, that's, not, that's not the point. That's not the point. It keeps on going. It keeps on going. But we can't skip past this. Sometimes we would like to. We would like to skip past the hard parts. In our own lives, we'd like to skip past the hard part. Can we just fast forward this moment? Or having a, you know, you have a moment in your life you just want to skip ahead to. A conversation you would like to skip ahead to. Someone you know is going to die that you just don't, you don't know if you can handle it. You'd like to skip ahead. But we can't, can't skip ahead. Christ's crucifixion, death, and burial, if we are going to comprehend and understand and receive the full grace of God, if Christ didn't die, then Christ couldn't rise again. It matters because we see people die all the time. We experience death all the time. I can relate to the friends of Jesus grieving on Good Friday. I can empathize. I can connect. Many of you, all of you can connect in that way. You've all grieved and mourned. You've lost loved ones. We can connect with that experience. We can connect to that suffering, and it matters in itself. It matters for its own sake. It matters because God saw us in our suffering, saw our brokenness, and became human in Jesus Christ, carried part of that with him. The sufferings we face in this world, my brothers and sisters, are not foreign to God. They're not so distant to God. They aren't unknown. It isn't like that famous moment in the French Revolution where Marie Antoinette is, is confronted by the starving beggars who are hungry for bread, who are out of bread, and she says, let them eat cake, because she has plenty of cake. There's surely plenty for the thousands in front of her. There is a distance there between, between Marie Antoinette, between the Bourbons and, and the peasants. There is not this distance between us and God. God came down to us, came down to us and experienced the life that we have, the pain and the suffering that we have. God has bridged the distance through Jesus Christ. And we can hold on to hope that in the midst of our own suffering and the suffering around us, God is not far away. And so my brothers and sisters, in this season, in this time, even as Christmas is approaching in life, may you not be afraid of the scandal of the death of God. It is not a got you moment by atheists. It is, in fact, the heart of our faith because it is not the end of the story. And when we suffer in this world and our friends suffer and family, when they break, it is not the end of the story. This is our faith. This is our hope. And may this hope stay with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love in Jesus who transformed the cross from a tool of death into a symbol of life. May we live out a cross-shaped life, offering ourselves for others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.